Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your compassion and your love. For the opportunity to sing praises to your name. And now to look at your word together. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts will be pleasing to you today. And I pray that you would speak in grace. And you would lift up the name of Jesus with your anointing power. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you believe it? It's a brand new year. A brand new decade. Can you believe it? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a brand new decade. Y'all said that with a lot more enthusiasm than the first service. They're like, it's a brand new decade. But some of you were thinking that, weren't you? It's a brand new decade. Yeah, going to be like the last decade. It's like, whatever. And that's okay. Because today, we're going to look at somebody who probably felt just like that. At one point in life, he had ideas, possibilities, hopes, dreams, goals. But, as we find him here in Exodus chapter 3, he's not there. Not now. Start in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. His father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side, the King James says, the backside of the desert. Forty years earlier, when Moses was living in Egypt, life was good. He grew up in the royal family, probably had hopes, goals, dreams, maybe even possibly thinking he could be the next ruler of the most powerful nation in the entire world. Regardless, he had life pretty good and every reason to have hope. However, one day he happened to see an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew slave. One of his fellow countrymen, Moses was a Hebrew himself by birth, and he sees that Egyptian beating that Hebrew slave, and Moses takes matters into his own hands, and he kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Well, Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, found out about that, And Pharaoh is so angry, he wants Moses dead. He wants to kill Moses. So Moses did like most of us would do. He ran for his life. Moses ran out into this desert wilderness. He quickly finds a wife there, starts working for his father-in-law, keeping sheep. 
He has been living now here in Exodus chapter 3 for 40 years in this desert wilderness, working for his father-in-law. Probably the definition of a dead-end job for him. Keeping sheep. No hopes, no dreams, no goals. Just keeping sheep. However, that's all about to change. Chapter 3, verse 1 and following. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Some say the angel of the Lord was the appearance of Jesus himself there. Moses saw that the bush was on fire. It did not, however, burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Pretend to be Moses for just a moment. You're out there on the far side of the desert, watching sheep, not expecting anything great to happen in your life at all. But suddenly you look off in a bit of a distance You see a bush, and the bush looks like it's on fire. But as you draw closer, you notice the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. It's not burning down to the ground. And so you go over there to check it out to see what in the world is happening. Moses doesn't know it yet, but definite God sighting here. Go to verses 4 and 5. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. That had to be scary. Here's this voice coming from this bush and it's calling your name. Imagine you're Moses. Put your name in there for just a moment. Chad, Chad, Mary, Mary, Steve, Steve, Joe, Joe, Gerald, Gerald, Joanne, Joanne, whatever your name is. Think about that for just a moment. Suppose you're Moses. And you see this bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. And you go over to get a closer look, and there's a voice calling your name. Verse 5. Do not come any closer, God said. If I'm Moses, I'm thinking, I really didn't plan on it. This is probably close enough. God continues in verse 5, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Okay, you got my attention, Lord, you're calling the shots here, definite holy place, 
Definite God sighting, taking off your shoes or sandals in the ancient world was a sign of reverence there in the Middle East. So Moses takes off his sandals. Verse 6, then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Notice God didn't say he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our God is not just a God of the past. Our God is the God of the present and the God of the future. God was still at work in Moses' world. God is still at work in your world today. Do you believe that? He's not done with you yet. He is still at work. Whether you're 15 or 40 or 50 or 80 or younger or older, God is still at work in this world. In fact, in Philippians 1.6, the Bible says, He who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God gets Moses' attention. And then God gives Moses some directions. Verse 10. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God didn't show himself to Moses just so Moses could have some incredible experience. So Moses could go back to his wife, to his father-in-law and say, you will never believe what I saw today. I saw this bush. It was on fire, but it was not burning to this ground, to the ground. And this voice spoke to me. It was God. I think I'll go back next week and see if it happens again. Maybe I'll go back again next year and see if it happens again next year. It was such an amazing experience. I'd like to see that again. Many of you have had experiences in your life. A powerful worship service. A revival meeting. A passion conference. A disciple now. And you had such an experience that you had goosebumps upon goosebumps. The purpose of that meeting was not simply to give you goosebumps so hopefully you can come back again next year and get some more goosebumps. No, the purpose is that you might know God. That you might see God and worship God and that you might go on mission with God in this world. Amen? God was preparing Moses for a mission. He's also preparing you for one as well. God is sending Moses on mission, but Mo don't want to go. Why doesn't Mo want to go? We'll get to that in a minute. But before we do, let's examine ourselves Why don't we want to go on mission to where God is sending us? Let me give you some reasons. One is 
we are too comfortable. If you're like me, it's too easy to sit in front of your big screen TV and watch football all day. Or like some of you, it's too easy to scroll on your Facebook page for hour after hour after hour. Or maybe it's too easy just to to go to the coffee shop and, and hang out and speak to friends and go back home. And you just kind of got your routine. How many of you have a routine? It's all right to have a, a routine, but don't get too comfortable in that routine. For some of us, it's go to work and come home. Go to work and come home. Go to school, come home. Whatever it is, but we can get so wrapped up in our routine that we get comfortable. And we don't realize that God did not call us to comfort. God called us to be on mission in this world to make a difference. You were made for so much more than just going through the motions. You're made to be His instrument in this world, to impact people with the love of Jesus Christ. One reason why we don't want to go is we get too comfortable. Here's another reason. We get too discouraged. How many of you ever get discouraged? Well, I know I do. It's easy to get discouraged. Did you know a lot of the greatest people in the Bible got discouraged? Elijah got discouraged. He was threatened by Queen Jezebel right after he had just seen God send fire down from heaven to burn up the sacrifice. This amazing victory in his life. Jezebel, the wicked queen, threatens him. You know what Elijah does? He runs for his life. He hides in a cave. He says, I'm the only one left. He got discouraged. He's not the only one in the Bible that got discouraged. Moses, I think, got discouraged. I tried. I'm just out here in the desert watching sheep. Job got discouraged. After situation, after situation, after losing everything and being covered in sores and pain, he got discouraged. Job's wife got discouraged. Job looks, Job's wife looks at Job and says, why don't you just curse God and die? How many know that would be discouraging if your wife told you that? We can all get discouraged. It's easy. Discouragement is one of the greatest tools in the toolbox of the devil. If he can get you discouraged, he can get you defeated. Did you know that? But here's what I would challenge you to do in the middle of your discouragement. Talk to yourself. How many people in the room talk to yourselves? All right, some of us do. All you smart ones, right? How many of you answer yourself sometimes when you talk, okay? You're in good company. Did you know the psalmist did that? Psalm 42, I believe it is, he says this. He talks to himself and says, 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? He's asking himself a question. Then he answers his own question. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my hope in my God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Let me encourage you. If you're discouraged today, grab yourself by the nap of the neck and say, I'm not going there. I'm praising my God today. But we can get too discouraged. We get too comfortable. Or we get too busy running here, running there, doing this and doing that. We had so much going on. 30 years ago, we thought technology was going to solve that. I think it's made it worse. You know, we can't have a conversation without checking our cell phone in the middle of it. Anybody with me? Yeah, just a second. I got a text right here. Hold on. Just kidding. But that's how we are, right? We get so busy. But it's nothing new. Remember Mary and Martha in the Bible? Mary and Martha are friends of Jesus, they and their brother Lazarus, the one that Jesus would raise from the dead. And Mary and Martha had Jesus over for dinner one day. And uh, Martha, I can just imagine, was this amazing entertainer, probably an excellent cook. And they're having Jesus and the disciples over, I think, for this amazing meal. Well, Martha is so busy working in the kitchen and getting the house straight and getting everything together. And her sister Mary was probably helping her out until Jesus arrives. You know what happens when Jesus arrives? Mary drops everything. She sits at the feet of Jesus and just begins to listen to everything that Jesus has to say. What's Martha doing? She's back here in the kitchen. I gotta get this stuff ready. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. I gotta. Mary, where are you? She looks over there. Mary's just like right down here at the feet of Jesus, not even paying attention to Martha. I think Martha was getting a little upset. I think Martha was looking over there at Mary, probably giving her the evil eye. How many of you ever gotten the evil eye? I got a middle school over there. Are you in middle school yet? You know what it's like. Mama gives you the evil eye. I think Martha's giving Mary the evil eye. Mary ain't paying no attention to her. It's like talk to the hand. Okay, I'm listening to Jesus. I tried that studying one time. It wasn't a good idea at home. I'm just kidding. Anyway. Martha's trying to get Mary to help. And finally, Martha is so upset. You know what she does? She tells Jesus what to do. Martha says, Jesus, you tell Mary to get herself in here and help me. You ever get so busy doing your thing that you're telling God how to do his thing? I love what Jesus said. He's patient. He says, Martha, Martha. I love it. Martha, Martha. You are troubled about so many things. 
Mary has chosen the best thing. I'm not going to take that away from her. Sometimes we get so busy doing things, good things, that we miss out on the best things. That's why in 2020, we're challenging you, we're encouraging you to read the Bible through, to drink it in. Whether you're sitting there reading it alone in your study, or whether you're sitting down and reading it with your family, or whether you do like I do a lot of times, you get the headphones in your ears, and you're just listening to God's Word, that you drink it in. And you want to hear what God has to say. You take time for hearing God and what He has to say in His Word. The psalmist said in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. We're encouraging you in 2020. Take time to read God's Word and to look for God at work in this world. Pay attention to what's going on around you to look and see what God is doing. Don't get too busy. Some people are too busy. And sometimes people, sometimes us, we can be too critical. Always got to criticize what somebody else is doing or not doing. You know who were the experts in the New Testament on criticism? The Pharisees. They are constantly criticizing other people, criticizing Jesus, criticizing disciples, criticizing the sinners, criticizing everybody. You know what's so sad about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the scribes? They knew more about God than anybody else in their world. But they didn't know God. In fact, they find themselves arguing with Jesus Christ himself, even saying, Jesus, you've got a demon. And then crucifying him. They're responsible for it, as well as your sins and mine. But the Pharisees were so critical. They miss God. If you are a critic more than you're an encourager, you're going to miss God. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. Judge not, lest you be judged. For with the same judgment that you judge, you too will be judged. Why do you worry, Jesus says, about the speck that is in your brother's eye, when you have a log in your own eye. Jesus said, first get the log out of your eye, then you can see clearly to help your neighbor with the speck that's in his eye or her eye. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, don't do anything out of selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind, consider others, say others with me, Others is more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Sometimes we're too critical or we're too busy. We get too discouraged, too comfortable. Or like Moses, we think we are too inadequate. That seems to be Moses' biggest problem. 
Go back to chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm just a nobody. I'm just a shepherd out here watching the sheep in the desert wilderness for my father-in-law. I've been here for 40 years. I, I can't go back down there to Egypt. Can't do it. Moses got one thing right. Without God, he was inadequate. And so are you. But through God's power, you can do whatever God has called you to do. Do you believe that? Romans 8.37 says you're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Is that just a verse that we say or is that a truth that we believe? 1 John 4, 4 says greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Do we believe that in the sense that we really live that? Or do we simply just say we believe it? I love what the great evangelist Dwight L. Moody once said about Moses. Moody said that Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was somebody down there in Egypt, living in Pharaoh's household. He spent the next 40 years out there in the desert watching these sheep, thinking, I'm a nobody. And he would spend the last 40 years of his life realizing, experiencing how God could use somebody who knew he was a nobody. Listen, apart from Jesus Christ, you cannot do anything. But through the power of Jesus Christ, you can do whatever He's called you to do. You can be whatever He's called you to be for His glory. Go to verse 12. And God said to Moses, I will be with you. Listen, the size of your challenge is not ultimately what matters. What matters is the size of your God. You tell me a situation, an issue, a struggle, or a problem that is greater than your God. You see, anywhere with God is better than anywhere else without Him. You believe that? Psalm 84.10. The psalmist says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Anywhere with God is better than anywhere else without Him. Better to be a garbage collector, collecting trash at 4.30 in the morning, and know God, than to be a multi-billionaire and not even know where you're going to go when you die. I was reminded of that this past week. I was out walking our little dog, Benny, as I always do in the mornings and the afternoons and the evenings and six times a day. But I was walking Benny, and Benny did his business like he usually does, and I've got a bag. I'm a good neighbor. I pick it up. 
And uh, I'm walking back toward the house with this bag in my hand. And this garbage truck stops and empties the trash at the house in front of me. And then the guy that's driving the truck starts, starts walking toward me. He's got a box in his hand. I got my headphones in listening to some southern gospel music. And uh, just worshiping God, Terry. You know how that is. And I couldn't hear what he was saying at first. Finally, he gets about 10 feet away from me and says, here, put it in the box. He's got this big old smile on his face. He is just enjoying life, collecting garbage. But I believe the guy must have known Jesus because he was excited about living. It didn't matter what he was doing. Now, he might be the owner of the company, make a million dollars a year. I don't know, but I just thought that was kind of cool. Where was I? <laughs> Go to chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered. He's talking to God. He says, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? I think that's every, every pastor's challenge. You can have these great visions, these great ideas, these great possibilities, and it's like, now i got to explain to these people, I don't know if they're going to believe me. In a sense, that's a challenge of every leader. You have ideas and hopes and dreams, but when you try to communicate that to other people, are they going to buy it? And Moses is like, i got to go down there to Egypt, and i got to convince Pharaoh, i got to convince two or three million people in Israel. What if they don't believe me? What if the Israelites and Pharaoh and all these people say, well, I don't believe that God appeared to you. Moses is a little concerned about that. So Moses starts making excuses. How many of you ever make excuses? Got a few hands. God's not going to give you a job without equipping you to do the job. Go to chapter 4, verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, what's in your hand? A staff, Moses replied. It's really not much, just a, just a shepherd's staff. That's all it is. Here's my question to you. What's in your hand? What has God given you? A little bit of time? Maybe a little bit of money? Maybe a smidgen of talent? What's in your hand? What has God given you? And what will you do with it? You may not feel like you're very equipped. As a church, we need to help you to be equipped. But to be honest, our biggest problem isn't information. Our biggest problem is obedience. Anybody here in this room know how to swim? Probably most of you. How did you learn how to swim? You checked a book out of the library on how to swim, and you just read it for about three hours, and it's like, I'm good. Didn't work that way, did it? You actually had to get in the water. Somebody might have pushed you in the water, but you had to get in the water in order to swim. Anybody here have a driver's license? Got about 12 of you, okay. Rest of you, you ought to get one. Comes in handy. Just imagine how attendance would go up in church if everybody had a driver's license. Anyway, um, how did you get the driver's license? You just read a book. 
Uh, well, I mean, you can pass the written test by reading the book, obviously. But how did you really learn how to drive? You got behind a wheel, right? And you started driving. And you weren't really very good at first. But after a while, you got pretty competent at it. You learn by actually stepping out and doing it. Listen, we need to read God's Word. But talking about reading God's Word is not really going to change us. We have to actually do it. And just reading God's Word is not enough either. Jesus said, blessed are those who not only hear the Word, but those who do the Word. So we got to do what God is calling us to do. And here's a problem. Following God is going to call you to leave your comfort zone. Exodus chapter 4, verse 3. The Lord said to Moses, throw your staff on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and became a snake. And he ran from it. I so wanted to get a rubber snake today and have it in my pocket and throw it out there, but... I was advised against doing that probably wisely. But, but Moses throws a staff in obedience to God on the ground and becomes literally a snake. Moses is a smart man, like most of you. He runs away, probably faster than that, right? Verse 4 continues. Okay, now go back to verse 4. It gets even better. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it. How? By the tail. Can you imagine? There's a snake on the ground. I just ran away from him. That guy wants me to go back to it. Pick it up. By the tail. I ain't doing that. Can you imagine? He's got to believe this is God, or there's no way he's going to do that. But he goes over to the snake. He picks it up by the tail. What happens? Instantly becomes a rod. Now, I don't know how I would have done that if I had a rubber snake. I couldn't have made it back to be a rod. But anyway, that's what happened, literally. Verse 5. This, said the Lord is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. The staff that Moses had was just an ordinary staff in his hand, but he surrendered what was in his hand to the hand of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. It became a powerful instrument of God. God is asking you a question today. What's in your hand? A basketball in my hand is just a basketball. But if you put a basketball in the hands of a LeBron James, you got three NBA championships. A football in my hands is just a football. But if you put a football in the hands of Lamar Jackson. You've got a potential NFL MVP. 
five loaves and two tiny fish in my hands, that's a few fries short of a happy meal. But you put that in the hand of Jesus and you can feed a multitude. What's in your hand? What has God given you? And what, by God's grace, will you do with it? What's in your hand? Moses gave excuse after excuse. He simply doesn't want to go. Moses pleads with the Lord, please send somebody else. God's message to Moses is the same as it is to us. Go, and I'll be with you. Think about it. We got a brand new year in front of us. Brand new decade. What are we going to do with it? I want to challenge you as a church and as an individual. You might notice in your bulletin there's a card. It's paper clipped in there. Two things I want to challenge you to do. One is watch for God daily. We call those God sightings. Watching for God sightings every single day. Some of you might say, well, I don't really know what a God sighting is. I haven't seen any burning bushes lately that weren't being consumed. Let me give you some simple examples. This morning, I came into church and, to be honest, I was kind of discouraged. Brandon, the sound man, comes to my office with my microphone. And for some reason, Brandon doesn't normally say this, he comes to me and says, Brother Kevin, you ready for another great sermon today? Like, yeah, yes, yes I am. And then a few minutes later, I had my microphone on, but it, it didn't feel just right. And so I was trying to adjust. I thought, well, I better go back to my office and adjust this microphone so it's not sticking straight out. So I walked back to my office and I looked in the mirror and I noticed below the mirror something that I have not noticed in years, to be honest. There's a picture below my mirror. You know what the picture is? It's a picture that's colored by a child that I put on my door. You know what the picture is of? It's Moses at the burning bush. God sighting. A few days ago, one of our staff members was helping somebody with the delivery. They started talking to that person, and then while they're talking to that person, they ended up talking about spiritual things. And the guy says, Hey, could I have a Bible? God sighting. We're surrounded by them. Just keep our eyes open and be looking. Now, if you look at the front of your bulletin, somebody asked me this at the first service, and I thought I'd better explain it. There's a picture here of a building. You know what that building is? It's the county building. Actually designed by Mike and Christy Childers, so it's pretty cool. Anyway, they said, why is that on the front page? Well, every week we're going to give you a picture of a different place in Hardin County because we want you to be looking where God is working throughout our community every single day. So watch for God daily. Second thing there, read the Bible through. 
okay? Read the Bible through. Spend time in God's Word. There will be a lot of obvious God sightings in the Scripture. And as you read the Bible and as you pray and seek God, you'll be more attuned to what God is doing in the world and what God wants to do through you. Amen? Will you make that commitment? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, your compassion. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you. And thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to see you at work in our world. I pray that you would move in our lives today. That you would move in this invitation. And you would help us respond to you. I know we can get discouraged. We can get too comfortable. We can be too busy. We can feel inadequate. But by the grace of God, we can do whatever it is calling us to do. So, by your grace and through your help, we're saying yes.